Welcome to Not So Standard Deviations. This is episode 40. Uh, I'm Roger Payne from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and I'm here with Hillary Parker of Stitch Fix who has a special announcement for you. I do, yeah. So um, so we wanted to start giving shout outs to uh, patrons, so people who subscribe via Patreon to our podcast um, at any level. Um, and so this week, want to give a shout out to Emily Robinson, who's been with us for a while. Um, and so thanks for your support, Emily. And if you want to support us, you can find us at www.patreon.com slash nssdeviations. And there's a link on our Twitter as well. Okay, so so yes, I have um, an epic follow-up to our debate. I think it, I, I have a follow-up that I think can help explain my emotional attachment to the cloud, which I'm I'm recognizing more and more. Like maybe this may not be totally rational, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. Like you know, I, I'm okay with the implications there. So no, anyway, no, just I, you, you be you, you know. Yeah, exactly. And like, it helps that I'm also right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah, and so um, so I found so okay, and we've talked before on this podcast about um, when Brian when Google Music came out, Brian Caffo and I like had to take the day off, right? You know, to like to consider the implications. So I found, and I had always remembered this, but I found my college essay from you know junior year of high school where I wrote about my CD organization habits <laughs> and I would, I'll call it a system rather than habits because it was an intricate system um, <laughs> okay and so did you see did you see the tweets on this I actually I have this on my list of things to follow up with you <laughs> I, I didn't realize that they were related oh yeah like why were you tweeting your random college I, essay <laughs> I have in my notes here Hillary college essay <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So this is a college essay. So this is a college essay that I knew I'd written. And when I found it, I was so excited because it was so much better than I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> you know how you start to assume, like, when you were younger, you were just a total idiot. And you're like, oh, I'd be so embarrassed to live these days with, like, people putting their stuff online. And, you yeah, know. Anyway, yeah. I was, like, a little smarter than I thought I was. <laughs> sort of, like, a little more, I don't know, like, cogent and articulate. You know, I I had a similar experience actually. I, I like somehow dug up my college essay. This was like a couple of years ago. It wasn't recently, um, and I remember reading it, thinking the exact same thing. Like, oh, this is gonna be ridiculous. But uh, I, I was like, oh, actually, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just it is. I mean, it's I I do feel for kids these days because they it's like, especially there was a I feel like there was a while where Time, a while back, Time Magazine. It was some college kid, and they like they put an essay of his on time.com and it like people were flaming it and I was just like oh this sucks because when you're that age you shouldn't right you're still like exploring anyway but but then the opposite of that is that I'll see people's work from you know 18 onward and be like oh they're they're so like smart and good <laughs> at putting their thoughts out there and that's like I couldn't have possibly been like that at that right. age and right so, but you were yeah but I was yeah <laughs> No big deal. So, um, so yes and no. Anyway, so I found this college essay, 
about my CD organization system. And I really, so I actually use this, I just gave a keynote at the Earl Conference in San Francisco, and I used this essay as a way of illustrating um, what a postmortem, what a successful postmortem process looks like. Uh. like I think I called it successful-ish. Because <laughs> like, it might have been a little over-engineered, but still. Um, and so the thing that I'd completely forgotten until I found the essay is that this entire system came out of an, an incident that happened, which was that my brother had lost his like original copy CDs on a trip, like on a family vacation. Um, and he left the, bi- the CD binder on the airplane. Um, and so this was like hugely traumatizing to me apparently okay. <laughs> i was in seventh grade i have no idea why this was so traumatizing because i'm not like a huge music buff or anything like right but i think it was like it's like a lot of money i was thinking about it back then cds cost twenty dollars yeah and it's like they cost less now absolutely and then you account for inflation it's like yeah they're a lot more expensive they were a lot more expensive back then right uh, especially to a seventh grader and so <laughs> it was <laughs> it was like all of my money in this collection and so in the essay i just talk about like this intricate organization system i built up where first i started copying all the cds myself and then i like i bought a binder for the copies and I bought a CD tower for the originals, you know, to look all nice and organized. And then I quickly outgrew both the binder and the CD tower. And I think I describe it as a little city of CD towers. Uh-huh. Like I had to buy like auxiliary CD towers to supplement the first one. And then I remember the- You had your little like high rise park. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was like, uh, it was, yeah, I had my own little, you know, Manhattan growing of like this CD collection. And um, and I think I would actually, I would like think carefully about whether to buy CDs based on like, like <laughs> is this gonna be worth incorporating into the system or not? <laughs> no, correct me uh, if I'm wrong, but that's like a little bit of the tail wagging the dog there, isn't there? <laughs> is <that> <laughs> I said it was only a successful-ish postponed on like this. I, anyway, you can understand my enthusiasm for the cloud, right? Absolutely. So it's like so. I mean, the system continued because then it's I would have to move all of the. I remember doing this so much. I would have to if I bought like a Beastie Boys CD, and I would have to move all the other CDs down one slot in the CD binder for the archives, and it was just like. I would, you know, have TV on or something and just be, like, moving CDs over one slot. (laughs) And so then I think I messed up a few times where I moved too many and then I had to move back. And and I talk about, and this was, like, kind of the most, this is the one part where I was like, okay, I was really young and I should not have put this in a college essay, where I was, like, studying for finals, really stressed out, and I decide that is the perfect moment for me to go and buy, like, index cards in order to have like an independent index of all the CDs <laughs> so that I can like browse through <laughs> and count, you know. It, for some reason, external index cards seemed like the right idea at the time. Partially informed, partially informed from the movie When Harry Met Sally, where Sally has all of her CD, all of her movies on index cards. So um, I was going to say that, um, well, first of all, I think studying for finals, that's like, that's like the perfect time to be doing Like, I think that's very relatable. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the perfect moment when you have to do something super neurotic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was. I actually, there was a part of me that was just remembering, like, it was so high stress. Like, it was finals for junior year. Right. And that's, you know, it's like you you know that those are the last finals that colleges are going to see. And it's, you know, this big momentous moment. It was kind of, I was like feeling a little sad for high schoolers, where I was like, oh, we're under so much pressure and it comes out in these super weird ways and no one, no one notices. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So uh, how did that go over? Uh, oh, in the conference, it went over great. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, and then I guess, yeah, I already kind of, the punchline's there already, but you can imagine like that day with Brian when like, the momentous change and my it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders of like oh my god I don't have to do this myself anymore (laughs) like someone else is gonna do this for me (laughs) (laughs) and like now the cost of integration of a new thing is basically zero right where you can just search for it I mean it I actually do think carefully about where to buy music and how to store it for things that aren't on Spotify but um and that's definitely a, a higher barrier to entry into my music collection than something that's just on Spotify. Um, but it's been like, I it did really change my attitude about like storing hardware, storing data externally, <laughs> or just like my willingness to like fuss with a system that's complex right. and that needs like careful organization. And right. like the idea, like outsourcing this was so useful to me that like the idea of maintaining my own computers I would like literally never do because I'm like oh that's it's just gonna be like the CDs all over again (laughs) (laughs) it's the CDs all over again I love it yeah or like I feel like I would even do this with my computers where I'd get like my desktop arranged and my file system and I would make I remember in grad school I made my computer I had some sort of custom like situation with I don't know I can't remember but it was like my desktop had things on it that you wouldn't usually have on it like little meters for how much you know CPU was being used and etc right and then it's like you get a new computer it all goes away and I don't want to I'm just like so over that now like I won't customize anything that's not somehow made perpetual for me <laughs> It's because you're older now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this is the grizzled person who's like, never build a system yourself. <laughs> well, actually, I, I have a comment for you. This actually is a follow-up from, like, four episodes ago or something like that that's somewhat related. You made a comment that was along the lines of, like, you were talking about, like, our packages or something like that. And, yeah. um, and you were saying that you didn't, yeah, you didn't want to use anything that didn't, like, clearly have some, like, long-term support behind it. Yeah, yeah. Right? And uh, I think you've mentioned that actually a number of times. And, uh, and I think, and I totally get that. But I was thinking afterwards that that was the argument that people used to, for not using R. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, I think it's a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it, at the time, it was us young kids who were saying, ah, don't worry about it. It's totally fine. It's open source. It's great. You know, what, yeah. <laughs> what's the worry? Aren't you lucky? Aren't you lucky that that worked out? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what system, like what failed system, but we can imagine like the, uh, the like Google Wave equivalent, right? Like, yes. like you're all in, super enthusiastic, like use up all your social capital with your advisor. And then like within a year, it's gone. Right. That was that, But that was like, an ex- that's an extreme case, I think. I know, but that's somehow I found the extremes is all I'm saying. <laughs> it's a, like you're lucky that you seem to find, you have good intuition 
for what yeah. sticks around, clearly. <laughs> well, you know, my strategy is, is well, even with, I guess maybe not so much with R, but most usually my strategy is to wait. I just wait until things shake out. Yeah, right. So. Well, wait, no, but that's the opposite of what you're just saying, that you... You were the young kid who was saying it'll all be fine. Yeah, I think so. I think R was kind of the exception. Um, yeah. Um, well, so that's interesting because I do think of me as much more of like a beta tester than you. Yeah. And and so I think for me, it's like I I talk about it now because my like my default is to buy all into a new system that seems elegant. Like if to me, if like the API seems good, or if I feel like the if I feel like it solves a problem for me in an elegant way, then right. I get like super excited and I want to use it and tell everyone. So I have to like, I have to actively go against that. <laughs> like I've had to learn to like bring down that side of myself. <laughs> moderate. Yeah, I had to moderate it like mostly based on the Google Wave situation. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I feel like for you, it's like if you're not, you wouldn't, the caution that I am, like, I don't know, projecting right now wouldn't seem as relevant to you if you're usually cautious. Like, I don't want to make someone who's usually cautious even more cautious. It's more like the enthusiastic, like, every new thing seems like it's going to save the world. People right. yeah. probably need to be a little more cautious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This actually segues kind of nicely into one of my favorite talks from the EarlConf. Um which was Gabe Becker's. Um, I don't know if you saw some of my tweets from that. Yeah, I, uh, I saw some intermittent slides, but I didn't get a sense of like the whole thing. Yeah, so yeah, so Gabe Becker, he's, um, I think his background is in like um, scientific computing. Like his PhD is related to scientific computing specifically. Um, and now he works at Genentech and he works specifically on sort of their like he works, he does scientific computing research, and then the application that he thinks about is sort of this huge Genentech. I guess it's like a pharmaceutical company, but it's sort of. I feel like it's different than other pharmaceutical companies, like much more primary research. I think it was acquired by Roche. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's not. It's it's a little bit more researchy than other pharma companies. Not that they're. I mean, obviously they all do a lot of research. Anyway, um, and so he gave this really great presentation talking about R there. And I think, I mean, I just really appreciate, Gabe has such a, I really appreciate that he takes the very wide view of all of the issues that could come up. Um, and specifically, he had a really great slide. He had a series of slides talking about um, sort of, let me make sure I get these right. He was talking about the various trade-offs you can make for computing environments. Um, and specifically, the use case he was talking about was like, hey, you know, I think with when we talk, when, when you see like a slideshow on a brand new package, they're usually thinking about a one analyst situation. And you're thinking specifically about does this solve like, you know, sort of like a toy problem that I'm working on. Um, and he was, he had a really great intro where he was talking about like, Hey, we're talking in the field that I'm working on. We're talking about a multi-analyst system where you have like the primary biologist looking at results. You have the analyst or like the you know statistician looking at results. You have to reconcile those results. There's parallel studies going on that you need to reconcile results. 
if you need if you have to reconcile those results, they need to be created in like a similar environment. And so just like the number of constraints as the number of analysts goes up is it's almost like exponential. Right. Um, and so so I appreciated that because I think that gets basically zero airtime. Um, and then he talked about sort of like the concerns that you have as an organization is like, you know, reproducibility. So making sure you can recreate them, obviously. Compatibility, so the idea of comparing results. Um, dependability, um, is that is that what that says? Oh, no, sorry. Discoverability, um, so people being able to find the results, which I think is his sort of passion. He has some really cool packages for that. Um, and then empowerment, which I think is really interesting, because I think that's the one that we, we think about the most sort of as data scientists of, like, does the data scientist feel empowered to do exactly what they want to get the result? Um, and then he went on to talk about how those are just, like, very much intention with each other so like if you want to have a really stable system by definition that's going to decrease the individual empowerment of the analyst like you'll increase reproducibility and compatibility but decrease emp empowerment um, versus like if you let everyone use whatever cutting-edge package they want you're gonna really increase empowerment but at the cost of reproducibility and compatibility um, which is, I mean, it's like, it's obvious when you hear it, but I actually feel like most organizations aren't making that judgment call ahead of time. Like they're kind of, I, my guess would be that any organization, especially if it started, if data scientists were there early, you're going to hundred percent of the time be skewed toward like agility and high empowerment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause that's like what we want. Right. Right. Yeah. And like you hear, I mean, I feel like data scientists are especially like allergic to process or, you know, any feeling like having any sort of like template for results or, you know, even like even having to put things into a specific tool like Excel, like having financial results go into Excel, people like really bristle at, or at least I know I do. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was just like super interesting. And it's it's funny because I know that Gabe is like. I think he's done a really good job of staying kind of independent from the, I don't even want to call it like language wars, like base R versus tidyverse or whatever. But like, I think his perspective in those things really comes from this idea of like, hey, different systems are going to need different constraints. Um, and you can't have like everyone flocking to the tidyverse and then having it be completely incompatible with everything you've done previously like that right. there's a cost to that yeah, yeah. And I, I think few maybe not so many organizations under realize that they're kind of ex they're explicitly making these trade-offs you know mm -hmm. um so it's like the i guess if i there was there's like what there is uh empowerment reproducibility and what there's a third thing uh there's discoverability and compatibility but I think reproducibility and compatibility could probably kind of collapse into okay. one. Yeah. So it's like it's like a trilemma, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have all three, right? You, you, um, yeah. You can't maximize all three at the same time. Exactly. Like you can't you can't do it. Like there's just no way that you can have. Like as an organization, you will have to make a choice. <laughs> It's very unsatisfactory for people. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I agree, especially because I mean, it, this talk really did make me think about like, yeah, you know what? I think that I am obviously like on this podcast and sort of 
like I like the empowerment a lot. And it's funny because I think of myself as a reproducibility person who also likes empowerment. And I, I don't think I've considered that often how much those are in tension with each other. You right. Know? Yeah. yeah. No, that's, a, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Or like my solution to the reproducibility thing would be like, oh, just log your package version number or use Packrat or something like that, which I think is still the right solution. But his point, I think, so maybe compatibility shouldn't be collapsed in because his point is like, even if you follow all those principles, if you don't use consistent tooling, then you can't just like squash it all into one results data frame at the end. Because if it if you use different methods to get there, then they're not really comparable. Um, which is not something that I'm running into so much in my job, but like it it would come up in A/B testing with like he and I were talking about if you had an A/B test that you ran on one page, and then you wanted to use the results from that as a prior for the next test, right. then that would start to get more important. So yeah, yeah, and hopefully, I mean, hopefully, like the tools you're using for basic statistical tests are like not <laughs> are not you know like changing dramatically right they're not like super custom yeah (laughs) yeah exactly but like i could see i mean obviously with packages that are you know changing that just came out that are changing all the time it would um and i I realized that i was using i use this package called modeler from hadley wickham which i don't think there's any plans to expand on it um and i did have this moment where i was like oh i'm using this package that's like not going to be supported long term in these results and I'm just like trusting that it's right and I do some sanity checking you know to make sure that it is like equaling what I think it will but I did have this moment like this talk had a big impact on me because like the next time I was doing an analysis I was like e like (laughs) I'm definitely not doing something that will be compatible with the future (laughs) I do feel like I I do kind of like a very quick mental calculation when I start projects Mm -hmm. um in terms of like okay what is the like (laughs) you know what's the tool chain or tool set that i'm going to use to like attack this project and is it going to be something that i need to worry about down the line or is is, or is this just nothing and i'm literally i'm just going to throw it away when it's over you know like Mm -hmm. like and that does affect my occasionally i would say it affects like which tools i I apply to a certain project. I can't think of a specific example of this, but I feel like I I recall having this kind of internal conversation in my head. Yeah. No, totally. Like if it's something that's just a one-off, then you'll you'll use like the brand new. <laughs> <laughs> you'll use the brand new thing you're saying, or maybe I'm misunderstanding. Well, I'm not sure which way it would necessarily go, but I, I just think that like I sometimes I do think about like um, you know a, 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 you know on a certain type of project I'll use the, the brand new shiny thing. Um, mm-hmm. just, just to try it out and it, maybe it's a good, it looks like a good fit. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I won't, ne- and I won't necessarily worry about whether it's going to work out later down the line because I don't care, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what I think is interesting about, um, Gabe and his work and his job is that I feel like most data scientists would just, would be sort of, they would find Genentech to be a really bureaucratic like I feel like it's sort of the opposite of the tech ethos of like oh I want like a small team and flexible and agile and like the amount of compatibility you have to have in this like super large federally funded research org that's you know going to the FDA you know just like the amount of constraints there is something that most of us don't deal with and would find kind of 
like not super fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so it's I. That's why I appreciate his perspective so much because he's in kind of one of the most difficult environments and thinking carefully about solutions that most of us would just like. Most of us, the solution would be, oh, I won't work there. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Like I want more flexibility, and so. Anyway, so it's just, it was just an interesting perspective because I think like I think the toolmakers by definition are people who are only thinking about empowerment or at least empowerment's what's driving them, right? Right. Like and so and so I think it, there's some tension there between someone who's thinking about these broader issues and someone who wants to develop the next big thing. Um, and and this talk just helped me appreciate the fact that that's always going to be there. Like it's not the people involved or, you know, it's, this is just, a, this is the nature of caring about a different part of the problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Spe speaking of empowerment, I actually have a funny story. Well, it's not that funny, but <laughs> um, I was reviewing um, like a report um, uh, of like a, of a, a data analysis and, um, and this person felt very empowered to mm -hmm. um, just kind of make up their own statistical methods. Interesting. <laughs> like, like on the fly. <laughs> uh, and so like you'd, I'd be reading these sections, I'd be like, you know, first they did a linear regression, but, mm -hmm. and they don't say this, you know, they don't say this out loud, but you can know that they're thinking the results didn't quite look like the way they wanted them to look. Yeah. And so they like, they did a linear regression, but then they eliminated these points over here and, <laughs> and you know, and then like, weighted them by this amount and the funny uh -oh. thing is it was like it was reproducible like cause it's not like they hid what they did like they just yeah. did it <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then it's like and they only kept the ones that were statistically significant and then fed them into a different model you know it was like <laughs> yeah it was i've never seen anything like that at this level you know like yeah um it was uh it was wild <laughs> <laughs> Don't they know they're supposed to hide that more? Like, I know, right? Like you're not. That, they said the loud part soft and the soft part loud, right? Exactly. But, um, oh man. Wait. So what? What level was it again? You, this like, is like what? a. This is the equivalent of like a peer review publication. You know, like I was. You know. Oh wow. Yeah. Interesting. Wait, yeah. but was it from a? Was it from a statistician? Uh, no, it wasn't a statistician per se. Um, yeah. Revoke that PhD. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's interestingly, I, you know, to this person's credit, like they didn't make any grandiose claims at the end, right? They, they didn't make, yeah. in particular, they didn't make any inference at the end. Um, yeah. And so the whole analysis was largely descriptive. Um, mm -hmm. And so the, in that sense, it was valid <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. you know because it was like we just took the sequence of steps and then we ended up with the number four at the end like that's not i mean that's valid mm -hmm. right <laughs> yeah right um it's but and it like, was it was you bizarre. can draw your own conclusions right yeah exactly it was, yeah i mean so uh, that doesn't necessarily make up for the totally just bizarre statistical models but uh it was um it was wow. refreshing to say the least yeah yeah Refreshing? What do you mean? I don't know. It was like, you know, you don't see that every day. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it made the day interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I guess what was refreshing about it is that, like, I think people do that anyway, right? But they just don't write it down, right? You know? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's why it's like, oh, doesn't he know he's supposed to hide it? Like, right. <laughs> there's no question this is how most results happen. Yeah. If someone tries like a sequence of things, 
until they get to what they want. Right. I mean, that's that's like that's a little um, what's that word? It's like a hyper hyperbolic. That's a little hyperbolic, but it's it's true that like people finding a method based on like sort of following a path till they get to something that they can explain is definitely true <laughs> yeah no it happens yeah. all the time yeah yeah so um that's yeah it's like oh if i just remove like half the data points we see an amazing trend yeah it's totally it's totally there <laughs> <laughs> i just like hand selected what data points to remove right that's awesome yeah. Um, actually, along these lines, this is, I, I didn't mean for this to be the segue, but it is related to, I got into a, a little, a, a little like discussion, I would say, uh, mm -hmm. with, with uh, Jig Vanderflas mm -hmm. on Twitter. And I think it was friendly. I think, I think he understood that I was just causing trouble for no reason, but. Um, he is a, yeah, we should, we should start by saying he's like one of the nicest guys ever. Yeah, I've never met community. him, but I, he seems very, yeah. yeah. He's, yeah, I've met him and he's super nice. And he's a Python, he's very much, he wrote like the Python for data science or something like that. Yeah, like, Python for data science, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he just wrote, or no, it was the no. data science handbook. Oh yeah, like okay, that. yeah, it yeah, is Python yeah. though, right? Yeah, he's definitely like a Python. He's a academic who does a lot of Python data analysis and data right. science. Yeah. So actually, I want to get your opinion on this uh, because mm -hmm. um, I don't know whose side you're going to be on. So okay, interesting. <laughs> so so he's, he put a, he put a tweet out there that was along the lines of like all sports broadcasting is just like an exercise in p hacking. Oh yeah, I saw that tweet. Oh you yeah. Know? Okay. All right. And, and his point was that like and I. And, and it was basically like, you know, I don't, I don't know, like sport, actually finance is the same way. Like in sports, they say like, you know, John Smith is the second best hitter in the National League for players over six feet tall and like with only 250 pounds or something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you know, yeah. and so they'll say something like that, right, which is kind of ridiculous. And, uh, and I totally understood what he meant by that. Um, but then I was like, OK, but, you know, I'm kind of bored. So let's pick a fight. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think Jake is on, he's on like parental leave right now. So he might be kind of bored too. Okay. Thinking, you guys are both just like, this is what happens. Yeah, it services. was like a special moment in time, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I'm like, well, how's that p-hacking? I mean, if it's because it, it's true, right? I mean, it's not like it, it, that guy probably is the second best hitter amongst people who are over six feet tall. You know, like it probably yeah. is true. They have all that data, you know, they, yeah. it's not like they don't have a sample from the baseball league they have all the data from all of major league baseball right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so it's not really like you can't be my point was that it can't be p hacking if you're not making any sort of inference like you just that's just a summary statistic basically right? yeah right yeah yeah like it's not inference because you're not you're not like yeah exactly you already made the point but it's not it's not inference if you have the whole data set right you have the population right so yeah um there's no population to which you infer um and but so then other people kind of chimed in um and he kind of thought that well it is kind of inference because you're you're so you're saying if you say let's just say you say john smith is the second best hitter in the national league or something like that right mm -hmm. his his which could be true at this moment of time um his implication is that there's a population of like all possible games that could have been played up until this point right mm -hmm. um all like combinations of hitters and pitchers and what, all the possible teams that could have pairwise matchups of teams and everything. Um, and what we observe is just 
one realization like the, the the history until now is one realization of all of those possible games that could have been played <laughs> i think yeah. I, that's basically the idea um I, and, I, I even though i feel like i know where this is going i'm gonna agree with you i will say <laughs> that this happens with a b testing where you're like it's like you can observe every single visitor to a website like that's what you're looking at when you do that and so i've had to make this sort of weird rationalization too of like what are we inferring i mean in that case we're inferring about the future right yeah but you're but you're not like the in the a b test you're trying to infer like well like all possible random combinations of people like if you think of the people who visited that day as like one sample of all the people who could have visited and like if this day were to happen again a different random set of them would visit so like oh, yeah like from yeah. the world or whatever right yeah exactly yeah it's kind of i guess it's i mean i think that in some sense is a, a more valid population argument because it's not like everyone in the world came to visit you right that day yeah right yeah. and so it is true that if you were to repeat that day um it there would be a different group of people i think right mm-hmm. i mean so right. um but for like i don't know for baseball it seems a little more well i don't think that that's what the listeners are thinking when they hear that (laughs) they're not like oh yeah this person's in the top two percent of like everything that could have ever happened (laughs) like they're just like yeah he's better than all these other people that i've watched play baseball or basketball or whatever yeah Yeah. they're not making like the super population argument there (laughs) yeah exactly yeah i mean maybe jake is (laughs) well some other people chimed in and like i was like all alone out there i could have used really yeah yeah. other people chimed in they were like well you know there's a latent there's essentially a latent variable that we're trying to infer here of like no. what their true ranking is. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I wish I had charmed it. <laughs> it would have been like something along the lines of everyone, like stop, <laughs> go get a drink, come back, <laughs> and, like think about what we're saying right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then, I, and then I was like, oh my god, you know, I'm one of those people now who like gets into fights over inference on the, on the yeah. web. <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean that's that is true. It sounds like both of you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is though. It's like, um, uh, yeah, I'm Team Roger. Just to be clear, I feel like it's one of those instances where it's like we're too, like we we like purposefully hamstring ourselves from being like relatable. <laughs> <laughs> like it's something that's so like that. Like I bet. I bet 92% of people out there, like, completely intuitively know exactly what the announcer's saying and, like, aren't jumping to further conclusion. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's like, like we're, like, we're, like, off debating in this, like, world we've constructed right. that, like, most people don't live in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It reminds yeah. me, like, every time I travel, like, you, you probably know this, like, every time you travel somewhere and, you, and there's, like, some natural, you know, uh, kind of, like, a mountain or whatever, and mm-hmm. there will always be, like, some plaque that, like, this mountain is the second tallest mountain west of the Mississippi, you know, north of this, <laughs> you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and so it's, like, I think people, when they see that, they're, like, okay, that's, 
it's just literally that, right? <laughs> yeah, like that's the most remarkable thing about this. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Right? It's not like, oh, you know, I wonder if it really is the second tallest mountain. Yeah, you know, in, like, <laughs> in like the parallel universes where other yeah. Earths formed. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, where does this mountain fall in the distribution? <laughs> right. I feel so bad now because Jake is like the nicest guy. I know. No, uh, I, 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 I know. <laughs> I, I hope that he realized that I was just kind of poking around because. Yeah. Uh, I think I think he did, but um. Well, this is like a per. Was it? Wasn't it like late? Was it during the basketball game? So it's like late at night. I don't... No, this is no. I don't know when it was during. I, it, it, he, I don't. I don't remember. But um, yeah, it might have been. But. Um, Anyway, I do think that, like, on the other hand, finance, uh, If you, I, I watch a lot of, like, uh, financial news, especially, like, if I'm traveling and, like, in hotels and stuff. Um, yeah. They always have, like, CNBC or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there, I think it's a little, it, there it's, like, different because there, I think, I, I think when sports announcers, like, flip off these statistics, like, I don't think they, they don't even imply that it means anything, I think. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. But like when finance, like uh, I, they're not announcers. What are they? They're broadcasters. I guess <laughs> they should well be called be. announcers. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when they say things like you know companies who've uh, you know me- beat their earnings in the last four years, uh, you know, like they they imply that like th- these kinds of things have predictive power. I think. Oh, totally. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And there's like almost a call to action. I mean, on some shows, there is literally a call to action. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I think uh, the finance stuff is just, um, I, I, it's, I don't know. They're mostly just kind of like saying that these things that we're mentioning are good predictors of, let's say, like price increases or whatever, you know, things like that. Right. So. Yeah. No. Yeah. And also finance is a world where the sort of random like this could have followed any path makes sense because I was thinking about this where you have, you're observing the stock price every day and it is this like hugely random process. And so the idea of like, oh, on any given day, that's sort of a random, random observation of what could have happened yeah. seems to make a lot more sense than like this year's NBA schedule lineup was like a random instantiation of like what could have happened <laughs> what the commissioners could have decided to do do you see what I yeah, mean? yeah like it's easier to understand where the randomness comes from yeah exactly yeah like the randomness in the playoff schedule is like people people do, I think people would more quickly jump to the conclusion of like, oh, the stock is doing that. They would more quickly think of the world where like, oh, on a different day, it might have done something totally different or like, you know, if it hadn't done that yesterday, it might have done that today. Um, Yeah, versus I don't think many people think about like the random process of creating the NBA schedule. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway. Actually, I'm glad you brought up finance, though, because another thing I wanted to mention from the Earl Conference was there was um, a group there that presented this um, package called TidyQuant. Okay. Um, and it was, yeah, just like tidyverse principles applied to financial data. Um, and it was it was just fun to watch because I, like, my, my realization at the end, I was like, I could do this. <laughs> I could totally analyze stock performance if I wanted to. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
which is cool. I, I that is what I like about these sort of tidy whatever, like tidy text, tidy quant, like people doing um, packages for that. Is that it does that is the that's what's really nice about that DSL is that you can just you can really quickly go to a new area, and as long as you understand how to manipulate the data, you can start to get results. I mean, obviously, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> Where it's like, if I start like trading based on my tidy quant analysis that I actually know nothing about, <laughs> that could be bad for me personally. <laughs> yeah, but like I feel like in that case, like you have you're you're not gonna harm anybody but yourself, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they also had like going off of the Sean Taylor presentation. That same group also had something called Time Kit, which was looking at time series. So like profit from Sean Taylor and Facebook had been built for sort of trend analysis of internet data, so sort of on a day scale. Yeah. Whereas this was built much more for um, like much much smaller time scales. So like on the seconds level, if you're thinking about like stock prices. Um, and then, and I didn't, I didn't understand too much of this, but it was just sort of like the Sean's was very, you know, he was on here talking about how it was a black box solution right. or more of a black box, um, and this one was much more wanted to be like an open box uh, and like not obscure away the res the methods. Right, I see. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was cool. So I would check those out. Um, I think that their startup was called Business Sciences. Oh, okay. How yeah. how was the Earl conference uh, overall? Yeah, it was great. I I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it was like a very the biggest thing. I talked to a lot of presenters, and we all felt this way. The crowd was very engaged. Like they weren't during my keynote. Like I didn't see too many laptops, and everyone was like looking at me. You know, <laughs> it's like that's like a good feeling, right? Right. But it just I just had this sense. It's like the the name of the conference, Earl. It's for. Um, Oh, what does it stand for? Enterprise applications. Ener yeah. yeah, enterprise application of the R language. Um, and so it was just, it was nice to be in a conference that was specifically for like what I consider my field now. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, like lots of people speaking from industry. Um, there was one public health person from um, the Fred Hutchinson, what is it, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center? Yeah. I'm not totally sure. The Hutch. Yeah. The Hutch. Um, the Hutch. I know, I just call it the Hutch, and then I realized that that. If you Google it, like it's not the first thing that comes up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there was a um, a man there, Thomas Vaughn, who was presenting um, a shiny dash he'd built for communicating cancer risk, and he was also really great because he was talking about he was like my first programming language was PL one, uh -huh. which is programming language one, right. <laughs> <laughs> big laugh. Um, and then he was like, and to the credit of the developers, he was like, I kept expecting to hit a wall was shiny and I never did. And he was like, and every time I ran into a problem, you know, like, oh, I wish this looked a little different. Then he was like, a package would magically come out that like solved the problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and they're like, themes package came out. Um, so but anyway, that one was near and dear to my, you know, public health background heart, where he was just trying to like communicate um, the risk of esophageal cancer for people um, so that they knew like, you know, oh, this is more risky than, you know, a heart attack, but less risky than something else. Or, you know, just like understanding where their risk lies right. um, for the doctor. So I don't know. Are people working on that at Hopkins right now? You know, it's, uh, yeah, I would say yes. There's a lot of interest in that kind of stuff. Um, but the problem, the challenge is kind of like, you know, it's the, 
medical equivalent of the go-to-market problem. You know, like the people who the people who own the <laughs> yeah. patients are the uh-huh. are the doctors. You know, in the the doctors that talk to them. You know, you know they quote they, yeah. they own the patients, right? And so um, getting these tools into their hands is not necessarily difficult, but I, I think you have to be appreciative of the you know these doctors have a lot of information coming at them. Um, mm-hmm. right. and, uh, and they have a lot of people, especially, you know, not just academic researchers, but like, you know, business people, sales people telling them to like use these, their tools. Um, yeah. and, um, and they, they can't just overwhelm the patients with like a hundred different dashboards. Right. Um, yeah. and so I think it's challenging for them just to kind of manage all the information that's out there. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. which is like very uncertain. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's. And so, so another avenue that we've that that's a lot that's always a lot been discussed is to kind of get certain kinds of uh, representations of data into like the electronic patient record system. Um, right. But that's a whole other morass of it's it's a nightmare actually. <laughs> yeah, I think that was what this guy was going after. It wasn't something that would face the patient. It was something that would face the doctor. I see. Yeah. So that they knew how to communicate to the patient, like, you know, oh, this is like. It, it was really interesting. I learned a lot about esophageal cancer and like it's weird uh, penetration into different populations. And, like it's definitely not uniform. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess that's like most diseases, but um, but yeah. So it was like even. But <laughs> I was just reflecting from the beginning of our podcast. I guess doctors are not. It's not a group of people who are like eager to beta test everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like for them, I'll encourage them to like try a few new things, but I totally get, especially like the sales pressure on them is super high. Yeah. It's super high. It seems like unethical. Yeah. That's a different, so that's a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think like it's, it's challenging just because like, I think everyone thinks, uh, well, not everyone. I think a lot of people think that like, oh, this thing would be great to communicate either to doctors or to patients. Um, mm-hmm. But you can imagine that like, I, 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 one thing I never appreciate is just how much information is being thrown at doctors, like in the form of either guidelines or, the, you know, and, mm-hmm. and some of the, sometimes the guidelines are conflicting, you know, it's like, um, so they have, mm-hmm. they have a lot to manage. So anyway, I'm not saying it's hopeless. I'm just saying that like, it's it's a difficult problem to kind of solve. <laughs> right. Yeah, like bon courage to everyone who does. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, yeah. It's like the same as the Genentech thing. Like it's super important and I really appreciate the people who are willing to work in such frustrating environments, you know. Yeah. Like it's and it's understandable that a lot of people don't want to cuz they're just like, "Oh, I just want to have ideas and be able to do them." Right. <laughs> like <laughs> Um, well, there's a trade-off, you know, like if you want to have an impact on like a huge portion of the world, you know, there's trade-offs. Yeah. That was one thing I feel like I really learned at Hopkins. I don't know if this was your experience that like the, I did have this overwhelming sense and Hopkins obviously is like a top-notch hospital. And I did have this overwhelming sense that there really were people there who like, who wanted to cure cancer and wanted to be the person who like saved so many lives. Like there was so much passion there. Um, driving people yeah yeah I don't know I don't know if that was your no I think <laughs> it is experience. I think sometimes it gets yeah. it, it gets a little buried sometimes just because of the day-to-day but I think it is there fundamentally mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah like versus that's you know that's not obviously the environment I'm in now um, and like <laughs> I mean I think Citrix is solving really important problems but like 
curing cancer is not one of them right. yeah. currently on the docket. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, just for the record, I'm not doing that either. So. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. I mean, by studying air pollution, you're like. That's true. I, yeah, yeah. I actually, yeah. <laughs> I actually make it. An, I sometimes try to make an analogy in terms of like the effect of pollution. I say that like if you were to lower pollution this much, it would like save X many lives. Uh, which mm-hmm. is like the same number of lives, the same number of people who die from like, I don't know, pick, choose your favorite cancer. Yeah. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pick which cancer depending on what the number turns out to be. Um, <laughs> and then I, and then, yeah, and then, I'll, and then I'll say like, you know, I don't know like w- when the cure for cancer is coming, but we do, we already know how to like decrease air pollution levels. So, <laughs> yeah. so you can take your uh, pick. That's so frustrating because it's just, uh, whatever. <laughs> <sighs> Have the has the news just been like horribly frustrating to you? You know, it's um, when you're like, it's interesting. I talk to people at um, you know, EPA and kind of related you know agencies and things like that a bit, and um, things aren't moving quite as fast as you might imagine from reading the news. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's just the biggest, the most frustrating thing is really not so much the direction things are going. It's just like the uncertainty about what might actually happen. Um, yeah, be, totally. Because it's just like nobody knows anything. It's just yeah, there's so much uncertainty. So, um, and it's and it's also there's like a weird coalition of like industry and mm-hmm. and science in some ways uh, along because there's a lot of it. There's a lot of industry that's like they're fine with the science. You know, they're not like you know, yeah. Um, and they prefer stability as opposed to just like what we have now. You know. Right. And so of course. it's kind of a, it's, it kind of makes for some strange bedfellows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like I saw that recently where it was like the good guys were Bank of America and like Wells Fargo. And <laughs> yeah. And like, like Exxon Mobil, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyway, anyway, that was a t- tangent. <laughs> so anyway, Earl Conference recommend. Uh, it was fun. Yeah. Is it the first time you went? It is, it is. And so this was the first time sort of interacting formally with Mango Solutions, which is the consulting firm that puts on this conference. And they also have a cat as their... Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so I do have a Mango the cat. Um, They actually sent me one a while back, which was really sweet, because they were like, oh, you're our cat lady. Here's a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that was nice. And um, yeah, no, but I really, I enjoyed it and like definitely would like to participate and... It's just, it's nice. I mean, I was reflecting on the different crowds that these different conferences draw. Um, And it was nice to have a slightly different one than like the R Studio crowd, a slightly different one than Usar. Like, it's just, there are just so many different types of um, R users out there. (laughs) There are R users. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but But it's just interesting to broaden my horizon about, you know, the types of problems. Like one of my favorite questions from the audience during my keynote, I I did my opinionated analysis development um, spiel, added in, you know, the the postmortem and just sort of, I I felt I was happy with this talk because I think I, I was able to make a more direct connection between like, yes, we need to establish opinions, but if we don't do that with also establishing better culture, then it's just gonna be really toxic. Right. and so, and then someone had a really good question where he was um, asking, 
he was like, oh, you know, code review is really great. You know, a lot of us are working alone in like a consulting where we're one man shop. And, you know, do you have suggestions for how to implement that when we're all alone? Um, which obviously I don't. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a really great point. Um, the only thing I suggested was like, if you could work into your NDA to have like a second person, you know, if you have like someone else who's a consultant who you're like colleagues with and you could, you could like do that for each other and like work the other person into the NDA somehow. It's like, oh, like I'm going to need this person to review my code. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a great point and something I definitely want to continue to think about. Um, yeah, so there are a yeah. lot of you know, that kind of, there's a lot of people who I think are in that situation. You know, they've got their one, oh, totally. one person shop and, uh, and they're doing a lot of consulting, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and it's hard because even if you could get a bunch of people together, like often, yeah, they are bound. Uh, by the by the client, you know, to not be like sharing all their stuff all over the place. <laughs> right. Yeah. <So. laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's super interesting. And just hopefully as this is, you know, as people are sort of congealing around one set of principles for, you know, or like if as principles are becoming more standard practice, hopefully that means that it would be easier to do that type of negotiation or just you know yeah. i mean you can imagine like a kaggle like community of code review you know like getting paid or something yeah. you know just it seems like there's a there could be a community solution out there so yeah 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 so I, recommend i have one bit of follow-up from the last episode actually that i okay um, cool because we, we were talking in the last episode about uh, ethics and data science and um and one of the analogies that we were discussing related to uh, the Hippocratic Oath that, you know, that doctors take. Oh, yeah, right. Um, and whether there could be an equivalent kind of, I don't know if it would be an oath or whatever it would be for data scientists, you know, to agree to, right? So one of the issues, so I was thinking about that a little bit more after we were finished. That one of the issues that uh, that raises, and, and you know, if you're, if, you're in for, if you're in favor of it, is the idea of defining who is a data scientist. Um, yeah. And I think because like, you know, a lot of these organizations that have like standards or ethics or whatever, you know, rules of conduct are professional organizations, right? Their doctors have mm -hmm. a professional organization. Uh, financial analysts have, have a professional organization. And there's a there's usually like an institute or a group or whatever that kind of manages the profession in some loose way. Um, mm -hmm. And so for like you know, doctors, you have the AMA, uh, you have medical, mm -hmm. each every state has a medical board. Um, and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. it raises the issue for data science. It raises the issue of like, do you want to professionalize the 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 industry? You know, so that the, mm -hmm. so that the data scientist is is a profession, and the profession is well defined, and and then therefore has um, a, a code of basically a code of conduct, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's super, yeah, that's super interesting. I remember a few JSMs ago, someone, and I, I can't remember his name, um, essentially said that and was like, the American Statistical Association needs to, you know, like the, the AMA is like a lobbying powerhouse and they're, they're, they're definitely, they don't take like a passive seat in that professionalization and like making their opinions known and, and so I think he was like the ASA needs to step up and like like create this professionalization of this field and define it as something that's within sort of statistics 
it was it was an interesting perspective yeah. early on you know yeah, yeah. I, I think on the one hand i think people were at the time this comes up periodically and i think at the time people were very upset that peop, that there were people who were kind of doing statistics who were not really technically trained in it um uh, but on the other hand, I feel like a lot of people that I talk to are vehemently against this idea of yeah. uh, for, of, of making statistics, statisticians like accountants or something like that, you know, um, right. because uh, I think academics are just kind of against that in general. But <laughs> yeah, um, right. But but it does come down to like if you professionalize the industry, then, you know, there's going to be a body that says you're a data scientist and you're not a data scientist. Right. And so you're you know, you're not allowed to be doing this yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Know? Like you can't just be a doctor, you know? <laughs> no, no, I totally agree. And even, I mean, it's funny cause I want to be totally against getting certified, but that's cause I've already like jumped through all the hoops and like, you know, I feel like being certified in sort of an industry con- context is like, you know, whatever I'll do it. if like my company pays, <laughs> Right. <laughs> but, um, but as an academic, I would, that that will be a hard sell. <laughs> I mean, we started this by saying that like statisticians don't even want to have to use a tool that they didn't decide they want to use, and this is like a step beyond that. Right? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you this: Did you know that there is a professional certification for statisticians? No, <laughs> I didn't. Where does it come from? It comes from the American Statistical Association. Oh wow! I should get that. I feel like I should do that. I don't think it's going to affect your career in any way. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah. It's called, it has a horrible name. It has, it's called the P-STAT. Oh, you know, I actually feel like I've seen this before. Yeah. That, that's ringing a bell. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I only have ever met <laughs> one person who had the, the, the certification. Yeah, but props to them for making yet another thing, another like P thing right. that we can debate. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, let's get all the emotions onto one letter right. in the alphabet. <laughs> uh. um, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, but then actuaries go through that. But then I guess there's just no, are there academic actuaries? It actually feels like there could be. Well, right? there are in the sense that like, actuaries have to go to school <laughs> um, yeah, but I, right. actually that's a good question I don't think there are people I don't think there's a huge area of like actuarial research that is yeah. outside of the industry I guess that's like, you know what I mean yeah yeah like surely there are people who are doing actual actuarial res- research in the industry yeah um, another one is accounting so there are like academic accountants and there are and they're but they're mostly professional accountants you know yeah right yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was just talking with someone whose dad was a accounting professor. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's super interesting. I I have no answers. Yeah. I don't have any sure. answers either. But I, I do. I feel like there are a lot of people talking about ethics and data science, which is which is good. We should talk about it. But I think the implementation of that is I, I don't know if they've necessarily played the tape all the way to the end. You know. Yeah. I yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. I, I agree with you. And I'm, you know what, I'm pro it if it means that there's, you know, a, some sort of, if it means ethical oversight, then I'm for it. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, I wonder how many of your Silicon Valley brethren would be for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing few to none, but <laughs> actually, 
Actually, I take that back. I feel like I know a ton of people who really care about the ethics in data science. And actually, oh, this is going to be my free advertising too, but there's a conference, WrangleConf, in July um, in San Francisco that I'm on the program committee for. And we're trying to get an ethics sort of um, focus there too. So I do think there's... I know a lot. I think like the crew I personally run with <laughs> is all into it. Um, but I think you're also right. If I were to include the crew I don't run with, <laughs> uh, the, the crew I run with is a m minority. Let's put it that way. Well, I think, but I mean, I think there's another argument, which is that often professionalization is criticized as just rent seeking. So like just to prevent people from entering the area and to kind of, yeah. kind of monopolize the, um, you know the ability to do to practice a certain way and so mm -hmm. it's like it i think a lot of people criticize you know like criticize the these kinds of uh industry groups as like preventing people from like having those jobs so you can control the number of, you can kind of control the supply of people yeah which it surely is what the ama is doing sometimes right uh, like, i mean it's, yeah there have been a lot of accusations particularly of state boards like it's really hard to be i think it's like california is like really hard to become mm -hmm. uh, a doctor, like the boards are way different than they are in other places, or you know things like that. So, Interesting. Uh, so some yeah, states, I think, yeah. do limit the supply, but at least that's, that's what they're accused of. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, I, and it's funny because I was thinking um, I've been reading this book on product management, uh, and there it it occurs to me like reading the book and everything that like if you had a product manager who also owned a lot of the like who had a ton of statistical knowledge and could do the analysis themselves, you would eliminate that sort of watchdog um, capability. But then it also, I think it would move really smoothly because a PM is like super motivated to analyze an experiment and understand if there like was a win or not, you know? Right. Um, and so, and then it made me, then I was thinking also about Sean's tool, like the profit thing, something where you've like quote unquote democratized um, statistical methodology and like would all those people need to get certified like you know like as, like this is definitely a field where people want to have like there's a there's definitely the appeal to have people doing statistical analysis who are not certified yeah um, yeah yeah it's yeah so it's messy quickly <laughs> <laughs> so um, you, you jumped ahead to free advertising and so did you have anything else <laughs> oh yeah, no, just that this wrangle comp should be good. Um, so yeah, I'm on the program committee. It's in, I think it's July 20th um, in San Francisco in the mission. Okay, so, cool. You know. Yeah, um, come on, come on down or up, <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. um, so my free advertising is, uh, so Carl Broman of University of Wisconsin did an analysis of like all these different packages that for reading in large data sets. Uh, including like this FST, there's data table, there's feather, there's all these other database packages uh, in terms of, and looked at them in terms of their speed and kind of performance, things like that, the performance under certain conditions. So um, uh, anyway, I, I learned about the FST package. I'd never heard of it through this. Oh yeah, you were tweeting about that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool actually. I haven't had a chance to really use it, but it looks really cool. So, um, and it, it implements some sort of compression that you're excited about. Yeah, it influences a, a specific algorithm called LZ4, which is a algorithm that was developed by Google, um, and it's it's like a it's a super fast compression algorithm. It doesn't compress particularly well, um, but it's it is like crazy fast. 
Um, and I've been thinking about trying to implement it kind of in R, um, by, you know, just by linking in some libraries, but I never got around to it. And so this person just, you know, has basically had done it. And so, um, nice. anyway, so Carl wrote it in his blog and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. 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 I remember seeing that. That's a uh, cool stuff. All right. Um, yeah. all right. So, uh, do you have anything, anything else you want to talk about? No, All right. that's it. All right. Good show.